Yeah, so first the scale is amazing. It's monstrous. It's uh, something like 100 million tons uh, a year are produced for, for textiles. And how do you put your brain around 100 million tons? Well, that's equivalent to about 1 million Boeing 757s. Well, how do you contextualize that? Well, if you look at all the commercial aircraft around the world, whether it's puddle jumpers or, or big jumbo jets, uh, there's about 25,000. So if you took all those 25,000 commercial jets, put them on a scale, that's still less than 1% of what we produce on an annual basis, by the way. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. Lex Keefe here, and I will be your host today. We have on the podcast the CEO of Cirque, Peter Majerinowski. So at its core, Cirque is creating a way to break down the fibers that we have enclosed back to their raw material so that they can be reused to create new garments, new products with as close to a zero waste as possible. So what that means is that we can reduce the amount of material that we put into the landfill and the amount of material that we actually incinerate every year. This is a really exciting company. They're just hitting their stride right now. You're gonna hear more about them in the future as big name brands start adapting to their technology and incorporating it into the way that they are creating more sustainable clothing. So I'm really excited to have this episode here with Peter today. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. Today, we have the CEO and founder of Cirque on board, Peter Meyer-Vanowski. Meyer-Vanowski. Very close. Meyer-Vanowski. Meyer-Vanowski. Okay. I appreciate you helping me through that. And it's not (laughs) going to be the last time that you help me better understand you and what you do in this podcast. So I'm glad we're starting there. Um. We think a lot about uh, fashion apparel industry at Who's Saving the Planet because it's this confluence of long-term bad actors of legacy players that are creating lots of waste, that are engendering human rights issues and what have you, that are currently going through this period of systemic change where they realize things need to be different. And you have this consumer that is beginning to better understand that there's different options out there and maybe they should pay more attention to it. So from a climate change perspective, it's got lots of different pieces in. It's got new technology that is influencing the way things are made. It's got systemic changes with legacy industries and it's got a shift in consumer demand. Where does Cirque fit into the puzzle? Just give us a sense of what it is that you guys are doing. Yeah, so Cirque uh, is a circular economy company, uh, hence our name. And what we do is we deal with the end of use uh, or end of life uh, for textiles. And that's a key linkage because we're linking from end of use to new use or reuse. And how we do it um, is through an enhanced recycling technology where essentially we put the end of use textiles into a pressure cooker. We use some responsible chemistry uh, and a lot of water with temperature and pressure. And uh, a few things happen uh, that's almost magical in that reaction. Uh, First, we depolymerize the polyester, and that's uh, basically meaning that we break it down to its its monomer building blocks. Those monomers are used by the industry today. They get them from the oil and gas industry. 
And when we do that uh, depolymerization step, it naturally separates the polymer away from the cotton. And so then we have now two streams and the cotton stream, we can reconstitute back into uh, textile fiber. And then those monomers from the polyester can be repolymerized back into making a virgin-like uh, polyester fiber as well. So it's truly circular in that we'll be able to recover uh, both sides of a, of a polyester or a polycotton uh, garment. So from an everyday consumer standpoint, I think it'd be helpful to just understand, you know, poly blend, you said, right? There's like a, a polyester cotton blend. That's a ton of the clothes that we use and that, that are, yeah. that are, yeah, that's become very popular. Now, today, the status quo is that it's really hard to recycle those garments because the technology doesn't exist to separate the organic fiber, the cotton from right. the polyester. And so what happens with most of those garments today? Most get landfilled or incinerated. Um, right. If, so if we're using at, energy to burn them or they're just sitting in a landfill for millennia. That's the status quo right now. And that's what right. Cirque has done is created a method of extracting the core materials for those so that they can be repurposed again. Is that a good sort of summarization of that? Perfect. If you look at the U.S., for example, about 1% of textiles gets recycled back to textiles. About 1% of about 1% of about 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 1%, 1%, 1%, about 1% of textiles gets recycled back to textiles. Then you have another 6% or 7% or so that gets resold. And then maybe another 5, 6% that gets made into something called shoddy fiber, which would be like, think of a moving blanket or stuffing for a dog pillow or acoustic paneling in a car. It's a very low value um, application. So we have about 85%, which is going to landfill or incineration. And incineration is horrible because now uh, you're even releasing more greenhouse gas into the atmosphere. Right. So our status quo is that we made things for a very long time as cheaply as possible. And so that's using petrochemicals that we're recombinating to make these polymers. And then we're combining it with cotton that generally speaking is very extractive in terms of how much water it takes and then how much yeah. energy it takes to actually turn that from a plant to a fiber. And right. we also didn't have a good way of repurposing those, all that energy and all that effort that we used to make that thing. And what Cirque has done is said, hey, we can take that thing that took all that energy to make that currently is available. Right. So those, these yeah. are fabrics that don't need, you don't need to change anything from what's in your wardrobe, but we can create a longer lifespan for those core materials. That's right. We can keep them circulating above the earth's crust instead of continuing to extract from the earth. For an everyday consumer, this may not be that groundbreaking or that sort of like easy to understand why this is so important, but I, you know, having spent a fair amount of time now talking to people in this industry, it really is crucial to be able to, to better have a, to improve the relationship of the things that we make specifically in the fashion and apparel industry and the sustainable paradigms with which we'll need to live. So can you give us just a big picture overview of like why this is so important for the fashion industry to be, to actually become sustainable? Yeah. So first, the scale is amazing. It's monstrous. It's uh, something like 100 million tons uh, a year are produced for, for textiles. 
And how do you put your brain around 100 million tons? Well, that's equivalent to about 1 million Boeing 757s. Well, how do you contextualize that? Well, if you look at all the commercial aircraft around the world, whether it's puddle jumpers or, or big jumbo jets, uh, there's about 25,000. So if you took all those 25,000 commercial jets, put them on a scale, that's still less than 1% of what we produce on an annual basis by weight for textiles. So the, the scale is just is massive. Um, and we're doing that every year. And, and as you beautifully articulated, you know, the stuff is not designed for end of use. Uh, we're, we're blending uh, a, a synthetic with a natural fiber, which makes this very, very hard to deal with. Um, and the net result is that the industry has a pretty significant negative impact to the planet. The UN estimates that about 10% of annual greenhouse gas emissions is attributed to, to textiles. And for context, aviation marine combined is 5%. I think it's also really important to understand that this needs to be a systemic change from how we make things, how we produce things, how we manufacture them. But it's really hard to institute a systemic change for any industry, especially one as big as the fashion apparel industry. So what you've done has been able to say, listen, you guys don't need to change the way you're doing stuff. We can still provide something that improves the sustainability of something that is made poorly. So we do need to do all those upstream things, right? We need to have a more responsible water use when we're making cotton. We need to electrify the manufacturing processes. We need to okay. incorporate uh, better materials and packaging so that we're not producing all of those things are true. But Circle also says like, listen, even for the bad stuff, we have a solution that can turn it into something which is a reusable product. Yeah, and I think of circularity as looking at the past and how things were made or that are already in the closets soon going to a landfill. But then there's also the future. So, uh, you know, there's stuff we've learned from processing the clothing from the past that could influence design to make things even easier to recycle. And so I think that's important too. So yeah, they can still do quote unquote the bad stuff, but it'd be really better if we used, uh, avoided some chemistry uh, for textiles or use special different dyes versus others. To that end, you are able to then sell these materials back to the companies themselves to remake them into new garments so that they won't need to extract more raw fiber from the ground or create more synthetic materials from petrochemicals. Exactly. But it's not quite that simple. And that's prob probably part of the systemic challenge with the industry, which is that the brands are very market facing. They're excellent marketers, excellent retailers that happen to sell clothing. They don't mm -hmm. own their supply chain. The supply chain has many steps starting from fiber making, spinning yarns, knitting, weaving, dyeing, cutting, sewing. Uh, some of that's getting more and more integrated, but it's so far away from the brands. And, and, uh, and sometimes I think it's by design. It's how a $10 t-shirt has stayed $10 for 30 years. You know, yeah. so, so trying to uh, pierce through all of that is a little bit challenging. So how do we unlock that consumer aspect of it? If I don't know anything about sort of sustainability or circular design, how am I going to get to understand I would prefer something made from a Cirque product than not? Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be a big education process. Um, I think it's better not to have to go into depolymerization of PET when you're talking to consumers and 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 have some assurance that yes, this is the cleanest thing possible for your closet. Um, and so that 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 comes from branding, I think. Um, that comes from a consumer education process. Um, certifications are are, are helpful too. 
Uh, I think there was one uh, report I read a few few months ago that said that customers really would like to have their current brands that they like and know just do the right thing. Um, but there have been some newcomers that have been very successful um, at, at articulating the sustainability story to customers. Allbirds is one uh, with their recent IPO yeah. uh, that's been great at doing that. So uh, it's probably going to be an all of the above approach in terms of uh, continuing to build awareness. But with today's tools and the internet and mobile phones and things like that, uh, people information gets out there much quicker. Uh, I, I think it's just about filtering out the noise. Perhaps then going to those old brands and saying, let us figure out a way to differentiate the different products that you make using some of the tools to explain why this is better to prove to those brands that the products that are made better are actually the most valuable ones to them. So from like just a pure economic incentive, you want to make a dollar, you're going to have a better chance getting a return on your investment, making something sustainably than you are poorly. And the bridge to that is clear and trusted information. That's right. And, you know, I think what's interesting about this industry also, unlike electronics or automotive, where you have a handful of companies that represent 95% of the market share, it's kind of the opposite. And so I think, um, at the heart of most brands, there's a fear that they could be like last year's news kind of thing and, and fall off of wherever they are, wherever their position is. And so um, so there, there is an economic incentive to listen to the market and to provide new sustainable solutions um, to stay relevant. Living by your values is starting to pay off, hopefully, from like a corporate to an actual consumer aspect. Definitely. I, I think uh, we're in the belief economy and and uh, could argue that Patagonia probably invented that. And uh, and it's been very inspiring for us. And for full disclosure, they're, they're an investor in CERC. Um, you know, we, we started really thinking more about our values and communicating it more internally um, and defining them. And it's been, I think, transformational for us as a business as well. In fact, I think Gen Z expects it. And if it's not there, they're, they're gone forever. So uh, that's probably super scary for uh, fashion brands to hear. So let's spin this forward then. Yeah. Where do you see the industry going in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Yeah, so I see the industry looking at how they can improve everything from dyeing to using more recycled materials um, we're seeing already price premiums for recycled bottle polyester versus regular polyester. Now that's problematic too, because that still ends up usually in the landfill within one to two years, but it's a good gateway. And I think it's a good signal um, to the financial markets who, who back technologies like ours, that uh, recycled material is a thing that is here to stay. Um, so I'm going to, I think we're going to see continued uh interest in recycled materials. We're gonna see companies like Cirque and there are a few others scaling um, and building building factories. Um, but really, I think that's just the beginning. Uh, I think there's there's a lot that circular technologies can offer and, and do to really disrupt the way we think of, of, of the industry. Uh, from a consumer standpoint, what, and I know that this is like very speculative, but yeah. when those you know, 15 to 22, 23 year old Gen Zs end up becoming the largest force of our consumer economy. How do you see them influencing the adoption of these types of technologies? Well, first with their, their pocketbooks, they're voting with that. So that's, that's good. That's good. That's great. 
Um, but I also think there's an openness there to wipe the slate clean and, and try something different, right? Um, I wish I coined this phrase as the rent runway founder uh, of clothing in the cloud, where you know you you're just essentially leasing stuff and you get what you want when you need it. You, you take what you need, you know, when you don't need it, you turn it back in and you have a lease model. Uh, that could be really cool. And you know, circular tech can can really enable that because uh, if things can't be repaired, resold, uh, you know, we we already see Gen Zs really big into into buying secondhand clothing. That market's exploding. Uh, so I think that will be another trend that will continue. But if, if you have this clothing in the cloud model, um, you really wear the same molecules for life, uh, which is kind of neat. And for a brand, you can create a ledger with your customers that says, this is how much water you've saved. This is how much greenhouse gas emissions you save. This is how much energy you save. And that personal ledger that a brand has with a customer for a lifetime creates a stickiness factor. I think that would be very attractive from, from a business point of view. So I'm really excited about the future. All roads lead back to blockchain in this, in this <laughs> current world. Um, so if that's if that's what the future portends, let's take a step back and sure. talk about the past, because every entrepreneur has a story that gets to the point where they've taken this entirely rationality defying step to say, "I'm going to create a business where one doesn't exist," because on paper it never makes sense. So I'd love to learn a little bit about what took you to this point where you said, I need to create Cirque and this is something that's going to be worth my time and uh, my life force. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a long story uh, and a strange origin. It starts really... It, it's no fun if it's just like, well, it was a business. I did a business case in business school and I decided there was a market here. And so there we are. I wish I could sound that smart. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, it started in the Navy, the U.S. Navy of all places, um, where one of my first collateral duties, my first ship, first tour uh, in the Arabian Gulf was a boarding officer boarding ships smuggling oil uh, out of Iraq. And uh, they were not very nice ships. These were ships that were off the uh, scrapyards, usually of India, uh, slapped together. And after we take them, uh, we'd have to essentially captain them for you know, 24 or 36 hours until it got to its holding place. And that gave me a lot of time to think about just the impact of, 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 of carbon-based fuels, where they're located in the world, how much we're risking in terms of treasure and, and, and blood for this. Um, and so it started my interest in biofuels because uh, I thought, what, what, what could be greater than uh, farmers around the world creating biofuels for their local economies? Um, and really, I guess you could say democratize uh, our energy. Um, and so fast forward, uh, several years after I'm out of the Navy, um, a family friend approaches me and says, I've made a, a plant uh, it's actually a special zero nicotine tobacco plant that can be used for biofuels. Um, and I need some help. And so it kind of was like, uh, what, what's that expression, a frog in, in the boiling water? Like it wasn't this aha moment, like I'm going to go start this company. It was helping this really famous scientist, family friend who had some tremendous successes in the scientific field, figure out how to commercialize this, uh, this tobacco technology. Um, what he didn't tell us, uh, and this was after we ended up starting the company, and I brought in a, a classmate of mine from business school, uh, Julian Bobe, who has 
chemical engineering uh, PhD and startup experience. But what the what we weren't told is that the tobacco plant had no way of extracting the materials from it. And mm -hmm. so we had to come up with a lot of uh, intellectual property around how to process that biomass. And that's the core of our technology today. It's the foundation of how we do the textile recycling. And I won't bore you with all the details, but we look at a poly cotton shirt very much like we look at biomass that has cellulose and, and lignin in it. And so that's how, you know, that leap happened. How did you, how did you make the leap from starting to transition to, I mean, it's a very different industry, right? If you're talking about tobacco yeah. farming, this is fashion and apparel. How did you, and, you know, the classic parlance pivot. Yeah. So we joke that we're not a startup, we're a restart. Uh, and that happened because really we were, I think, in, in bad timing cycle. It was, it was the end of clean tech 1.0. Uh, we were ready to advance to the next stage. We were fundraising and a lot of funds were like, you know, we like you, we like this tech, but our, our investors into those funds are specifically prohibiting any more biofuel investments. Uh, it, was, it was almost by chance where somebody asked us to see if we could recover anything of value from an old T-shirt. And we did. And, and, and we joke now, but we didn't really understand just how big a problem that was addressing. Um, and, and for a while, we were also wondering if what we were doing was even novel. Uh, and it turned out that, yes, it was a big problem and this was novel. Uh, we, we have patents now granted in the U.S., um, around this tech. So we're really, uh, really excited to be on this journey. And you mentioned something before that it does take a lot of water to use this process. Is that something that, well, just talk a little bit about that, you know, because this industry is very sensitive to water use. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we recover that water, most of it and bring it back in and just re recycle that as well. Um, what I mean is that we're using, uh, thanks. I should clarify that we're using water, um, as part of the, uh, the secret sauce. Uh, and so when water is under pressure and temperature, it starts to behave more like a solvent. Uh, but then when it cools down, it comes back to water. So that's, that's what I meant by that. Gotcha. Um, I want to, so this is an interesting transition. You went from a place where in the military, you have very little opportunity. I, I am not a veteran of the military, so please forgive me if this is incorrect, but from my understanding of it, you have very little opportunity to exercise your own agency. It's like a chain of command, right? And it's coming down and you have a mission and you need to perform your task, your role to then go execute on the mission. In entrepreneurship, there's literally no idea how to get to the place where you're successful and you're trying everything that you can and you're, you're really just exploring the unknown. It feels like those are two just diametrically opposed ways of thinking about how you're going to operate. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what did you learn from the former to help, to help you be better at the latter? Or like, what was that transition like? You know, I think it's, uh, I think of it a little bit differently. In fact, I think of it as like military is probably one of the best places to learn to be an entrepreneur. And, and the reason mm -hmm. being that you're always, you're generally feeling under-resourced uh, <laughs> and um, not, you don't have uh, perfect information um, and you have challenging tasks and missions and you have to be creative and figure it out and adapt and overcome. And so what, what better prep for being an entrepreneur than, than dealing with that? Um, and, and then on the flip side of that, you know, entrepreneurism, yeah, there are a lot of unknowns, but 
Um, this is a great country to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of examples out there. There's a lot of great resources out there. Um, you can look to see how other people did things. I'm, I'm always looking at analogs and similar industries uh, that that we can follow um, or, or, or patterns so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So it's not a complete blank slate. So um, one last question that I ask a lot of people, which is uh, <clears throat> when you think back to when you were first starting this journey, is there advice that you would give your younger self having now spent six or seven years working your way towards what is now a very successful and thriving company? Wow. That's a tough question. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Cause when I look back at we were, what we were trying to do with biofuels, that was really hard lifts. Cause we had, uh, you know, different pools of risk. We had weather risk. We had a new crop risk. We had a, uh, can we find farmers to grow at risk? And we had all, all kinds of things. And so I think if I were advising myself back then, uh, what I know now, I probably would have stopped, which is not good. And so I, I have no regrets. This was kind of a, uh, a butterfly path, but, um, but it, it, it prepped me for, for where we are today and where we have to go. Um, but yeah, I, there's definitely, you know, one of the tropes is had I known how hard it was, I never would have done it. And yeah. so sort of you have to have this willful delusion of like this will be successful this is necessary without yeah. having any degree of certainty to fall back on i i certainly think that's that's true and I, I, you know i would also probably say find as many mentors as possible find as many people uh who, who've been in those shoes before and have walked through them and, and through those doors that you're about to walk through and can and help you and advise you. Um, it'll be good for your mental health as well. Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on board today and telling us a little bit about Cirque. I'm super excited to see where you go with this. It's, it's such the right time to be launching this type of business. And clearly that is uh, borne out by the success that you guys have had. Thanks, Lex. It was a pleasure.